This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Hello and welcome to another week. I am Seb Lozier and, well, we have a real treat this time round. A top coach sharing openly and honestly the journey that a player and their mentor embark on when they're looking to rebuild their confidence from ground zero. I was joined for an incredibly honest chat by Martin Stepanek, coach of Borna Chorich. Fascinating talking with Martin about one of the game's finest young players, who perhaps just lost his way a bit last year in terms of form and fitness. We also hear this week from two men at opposite ends of the age spectrum, 18-year-old Italian next-gen champion Yannick Zinner and German veteran, he of the wonderful rolling single-handed backhand, Philip Kohlschreiber. All that to come, but first, some latest news, and the ATP has announced an extension to the suspension of the ATP Tour through to the 31st of July 2020. The decision means that the ATP events in Hamburg, Bastart, Newport, Los Cabos, Gestart, Umag, Atlanta and Kitzbühel will now not take place as scheduled. The extended suspension also applies to the ATP Challenger Tour and to men's events on the ITF World Tennis Tour. ATP Chairman Andrea Gaudenzi expressed his deep regret and disappointment And on future decisions, he said, and I quote, We continue to assess all of our options in an effort to resume the tour as soon as it is safe to do so, including the feasibility of rescheduling events later in the season. As ever, the health and well-being of the tennis community and wider public remains our top priority in every decision we make. So, tournaments taking place from August the 1st onwards are still planning to go ahead as per the published schedule. A further update on the ATP Tour calendar is expected in mid-June. So, the wait continues, but during the coronavirus lockdown, players and coaches have still been speaking with us in a number of ways. Here on the podcast, we've had many, and please check out the recent back catalogue of episodes if you haven't already. It's well worth doing. Lots in there. They've also been joining in on the new weekly Tennis United show hosted by players Vasek Pospisil and Bethany Matek-Sands, a joint ATP and WTA production that. And there's also been plenty still going on with the ATP Uncovered TV show. And this week, they've been finding out what German veteran Philip Kohlschreiber has been up to. Of course, you never completely give up on your wishes and dreams. I would still like to play at the Olympics. Maybe it would also be nice to say, OK, I'm fighting back into the top 20 and then call it a day, saying thanks, that's it, and I've once again proven that I can still do it. After all, at some point, there'll be life after tennis. Philip Kohlschreiber has been as high as number 16 in the FedEx ATP rankings and has eight ATP Tour titles to his name. During lockdown, the 36-year-old German has been taking stock. In my youth, I spent a lot of time on a farm because we lived in the countryside and my friends had farms. I used to ride with someone who drove the tractor digging up potatoes. This reminds me a bit of my youth and now I'm able to roll the ground in the fields. 
It's fun at first, but then it gets a bit boring. Being at home during such a compulsory break is interesting. Maybe I'll enjoy it an incredible amount. I can try out new things that I would simply never do otherwise, which is fun. And I found a few interesting things already. I can walk my dog in a nearby forest, and now that I've had a longer break, I think I've ridden my wife's horse three or four times. She always tells me her horse is very well behaved, and I think you can see that. But I can't really ride right now. So I do the other things, such as muck out and clean and feed the horses. Ich kann die anderen Dinge schon. Ich kann ausmisten, ich kann Pferde putzen, füttern. Looking back on his career so far, there's a moment in Munich from 2007 that stands out for the right-hander. My most important success, it was certainly my first tournament win in Munich, which showed me that I can beat the really big players. There is a saying, losing narrowly but still far from winning. It's so important to have a success like this because then you start to believe in yourself. Munich showed me that not only can I compete on the biggest stage in tennis, but I'm able to win such tournaments. That's why my most important success was definitely in Munich. And now more than ever, it's also time to look forward. Has he got it? It is in, and one of the major contenders falls in the desert, as Philip Kohlschreiber says, today is my day. All of my know-how is in tennis. Maybe helping young players would be interesting, and I can already feel this when I'm practicing with sparring partners and future pro players in Munich. I'm already noticing things which I would like to tell and share with them, things that I think they can still improve on or maybe do differently. I didn't have that feeling 10 years ago. I didn't care back then. Maybe looking back at myself, I was more selfish. But already now, just being a bit older, I feel like I have developed an eye for it, and that appeals to me somehow. Maybe I'll just wake up one day and say, OK, today's the right day to stop. I don't want to announce it in advance that a certain tournament will be my last. That's just not me. I would actually like it to happen spontaneously. I also wouldn't want to announce I'm playing a farewell tour as I'm not that type of person. I just think it's a gut decision that will come naturally. But rest assured, Philip is far from finished. The coronavirus epidemic will definitely not end my career, but I also think I will appreciate my last year or two on tour much more. Philip Kohlschreiber eager to get back out there and make the most of his twilight years, while at 18, Italian Yannick Zinner still has everything ahead of him. This week, he'd have been looking to impress on home soil in Rome. As it is, he'll have to make do with memories of another very popular success at last year's ATP Next Gen Finals, as Gabriel Clark reports. Yannick Sinner, a winner on home soil. The 18-year-old Italian stands above the rest in Milan. No stopping him, surely. Oh, yeah, I mean, you can't put limits like this. He's so young, he is fearless. It was a very good win for me. I mean, uh, I played 
uh, in front of my home crowd uh, in Milan. A lot of pressure, uh, it's normal. And uh, at the end of the week, I just was very excited, very happy. In one way, in the other way, I won it. I would like to have this feeling more and more, you know, and then you are kind of searching for that. Sometimes maybe you can go a little bit in rush, uh, which is not not so good, but you know, you have to manage. And uh, I think I'm, I'm young and uh, so I have still time to learn. Yannick did learn from being crowned the 2019 next-gen ATP Finals champion, breaking into the top 100. But with more success comes greater expectation. Confidence, it's a little bit higher, of course. The expectation is are higher, but the pressure is more on my side. What I'm giving myself pressure. You know, sometimes you feel like you have to win this match, or you have to win this this exact point, you know, sometimes. And sometimes you just go, go a little bit over. Uh, you're just trying to understand why maybe you lost the match and maybe why, why you won the match. And then after you learn and you try to, to go forward. The 2018 next-gen ATP Finals champion, Stefanos Tsitsipas, blazed a trail for this next generation of tennis talent. So can Yannick do the same. What he has done is incredible. Uh, he won the next-gen ATP Finals, then he won uh, in London the ATP Finals. It's, uh, it's incredible. But you know, uh, he's still a little bit older than me, you know. Uh, and I'm still 18, turning 19 this year, so uh, I think that's the only difference right now. And uh, this ranking was a little bit higher, but everyone is trying to, to, to do his best and sometimes you play well, sometimes you play a little bit worse. Yannick's coach, Riccardo Piatti, has been a huge influence. Riccardo for me is uh, like a father. When I went to his academy, I was like 13 and a half years old. And uh, he always was very kind to me. He always put his full energy with me on court and he's still doing this and uh, I think that's quite impressive with uh, now he's 61 so uh, he, he doesn't look like 61 but you know he's uh, very very full of energy thinking just about tennis sometimes he tell me some kind of little stories about everyone you know because he knows everyone perfectly he was coach of uh, Novak too, Ivan Ljubicic many players and, and I think I'm very lucky that I have Ricardo. In his youthful hands, the future is looking bright for this next generation of Italian tennis. I think possible is everything. At tennis is tennis. You're playing week after week, trying to win uh, matches after matches and then maybe you win some tournaments and maybe you lose three or four times first round in a row and uh, at the end it's, uh, yeah, it's Dennis. Sinner now working with renowned Italian coach Riccardo Piatti, who not long ago was guiding the fortunes of Borna Cioric. But the Croat decided to make some bold changes, chief among them the appointment of a new coach in Martin Stepanek. He joined me just recently for a long chat by video conference and it turns out they knew each other all along. I know Borna since many years ago when, when I was uh, the coach of uh, Ivan Dodik because, you know, the Croatians, they're, they're quite uh, good together, you know, and uh, Borna at that time was one of the youngest guys I've seen entering the tour, you know. When, when I remember his match, 
the Davis Cup match playing played against Andy Murray, where he started really, really heavy, and then uh, you could see that he's still very young. But it was it was a promise for tennis, you know. So since that time, I'm more or less following Borna. We had some practices also in Chennai, and uh, yeah, I'm quite good with all those Croatians, with all the all the bunch of Croatians there on the tour. So. That's how we know, you know, each other. So did he get in touch with you? Did you get in touch with him? Because he was with Ricardo Piatti before, wasn't he? And they and they split sort of last September. Yeah, uh, the man behind the scenes was Ivan Lubic, I guess, who uh, who's uh, Borna's manager. And he was also helping uh, Thomas Burdick when, uh, when at, at last few years, more or less. And uh, since he knew that, that Thomas might end his career, I guess that's when uh, then they might get an idea who could be the next coach. Uh, so it, it was me at the end, <laughs> more or less like this. And they cited differences of opinion, Borna and Ricardo, last year when they went their separate ways, um, which you can read into any number of ways. And I'm not going to ask you to necessarily reflect on that. But how, I guess, when you set out with a new player, Borna in this case, how open and honest do you have to be in terms of right? How is this going to work together? I guess it's a matter of the philosophy of of the player and, and of the coach, obviously. You know, so you can do a tactical talks, but I'm not really good at that. So I really, I really like to be really honest. And first of all, what I have to feel is that we are on a on a good level. You know, that uh, in, of of like knowing each other and, and sensing each other that there is uh, there's like as as a human being, you're kind of in a good relation. This first, I have to feel, you know, if I feel that um, I'm not sure, then no matter what, I wouldn't take that because sooner or later, something's going to go wrong, you know. So um, it's, it's, it's good. That, that's why also it was easier for me because I, I, I knew Borna from before. Obviously, nobody in the world in tennis is super easygoing, you know. So, but at the same time, <laughs> at, at the same time, there are guys which you feel like this could be a good relation, and then you have guys where you, you know already mm, this is not going to work. So you know, kind of like this, and we, we tried to be really open. We had some private talks, and and I really liked it. And the, the you know, Borna really wants to improve. Uh, he's still very young, even though sometimes he talks like a like an adult because he's in like adult. Well, <laughs> meaning like you know an older guy. Uh, because I guess he's on the tour for already a long time. If, yeah. if you consider some guys, they come on the tour at the age of 25, but he was really at the age of 16 there. Yeah. So in, in many things, he's very mature. But at the same time, he's still 23. He's, he's very young. And many things you have to still show him. And, and he has to go through the process of uh, you know experiencing things. You said it yourself. He's been on tour for, what, seven years. He had a big breakthrough. Then his ranking fell away a bit. Then he had another breakthrough in 2018 where he had such good results. And maybe since then, he, he's he struggled a little bit. And he's still only 23. I mean, how, why is that? Have you have you talked to him about why maybe his form and, and also fitness is is going up and down quite so much? Was that something that you really spoke to him about when you started? Yeah, I guess it has to do a lot with lots of injuries he had before, you know. So if even if but even if you are healthy, I mean, these these uh, ups and downs can happen because the players they you know the the first act is 
you come as somebody nobody knows, more or less, on, from the top guys, and they don't know what to play against you. But after one year where you make a big breakthrough, okay, they know already, watch out, this guy is good. And uh, <laughs> all those guys, they have, uh, they're smart and they have smart coaches. So, you know, you have to kind of work constantly on, 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 on your tennis because then they, they start to read you and you have to change little things. And, uh, yeah, so even guys who are, like, who are like, uh, healthy all the time, they have these problems as well, but Borna, I think he was uh, many times limited with his injuries, where maybe not so many people knew about him, which is better like this. And <laughs> but at the same time, that's maybe why this was happening. He is a very physical player. You can see from his Instagram just how physical he even is right now. He, he loves to suffer, doesn't he? Um, how confident is he in his body right now? It's nice you realized, yeah, he, he likes to suffer. It's true. I think before he wasn't like his body was not really ready physically, you know. Even he was telling me that uh, he was because because he had some bad times with practicing a lot and then getting getting injured because of that. Then then he practiced much less, but didn't feel good on court. So uh, that was at the very beginning. We said that we have to try to find out the balance, you know, to be to be really ready on court, to be uh, to be ready to play the whole season. Because many many guys they want everything right now and you. You have to consider that the season is very long, a regular season of this year, uh, and and you have to be ready physically for for the whole year. That at the end of the year, where everybody more or less is already injured or you know sick of tennis and so on, if you are there ready, you can make a lot of good results. So so that was our goal to to build up the body first, to really uh, feel better on court physically, and then and then add some some things like technical things, and then. And then put all these little puzzles together, you know, and, and to make him a good player, which it's not easy to make within two, three months. You know, you have you need some more time for this because the stage where he was at the very beginning was not good. He, especially at the end of the year, he suffered by many things. Plus, uh, you know, his uh, wisdom teeth went out and so on. So he had some trouble with that as well. So now I know that he's now physically way better especially like he feels much better on court he, with this you gain much more confidence so at this stage I would say he's pretty good physically now and what about mentally how because I, I look at Borna and sometimes I think you know I, for example I saw him you know putting his his avocado on his toast in Rio you know and we and we had a joke about it because it had to be so perfect you know he's he's such a perfectionist in everything he does do, do you worry sometimes that he beats himself up a bit too much about things does he worry you know what <laughs> you're really like good prepared because he's he's a real perfectionist he uh he really likes to have the things perfect sometimes sometimes i would say it's an obsession but uh you know, it, it can limit you at the same time. It, it can make you like very special. So it, it, is, it is something you simply have to deal with. And you have to have a good feeling for that when, when to enter in some things and to tell him, hey, wait, listen, this is just too much. Or when just to let him, you know, doing those things. Uh, he does analyze a lot. Uh, you know, how is it with players? After the match, usually after a lost match, uh, there's a huge storm going on in the head. And it's, it's really not good to enter it's not good to enter straight after that in, 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 in that, uh, you know, in, in the head over there. It's better to, to leave till the storm goes away and then start talking about it. In this, I would say he's really good. He's, he's analyzing a lot of things. Of course, it's much easier with every single player 
to talk about the match, what happened after a winning match. You know, they're very open to any information because they're excited, you know. And, uh, but I would say that Borna is, is a guy who's thinking a lot, who's, who's really, basically tennis is his life, you know, 100%. Actually, Rio seemed to be a bit of a corner turned, didn't it, Rio, on the clay? He desperately needed uh, to win some matches because, uh, you know, um, at the very beginning of the year, he had a very good win in, uh, in Sydney on that ATP, uh, you know, cup against Dominic team. And then um, he got some tough losses. And uh, he, was, he was not playing bad, I would say. But simply, he, he just didn't believe enough, you know, in... in uh, what he did before at the same time he was still not there where we where we needed him you know uh, he can be in better shape than he was there but we didn't have enough time simply just you know as i told you it takes some time and we just had a uh, few weeks in the in the winter to to uh, to work and it was simply it was not enough somehow look i remember talking to him after his first match that he won and he was he just looked at me on court like he was so surprised at the conditions. You know, he said, I've, I've never sweat this much on a tennis court. He just, you know, it, it, was, it, it really shocked him, I think, the conditions out there. But he, but he handled them pretty well. Yeah, um, that's what he told me as well. I mean, conditions were really tough. But I think, I think you know, um, the guys don't realize that the, if, if you are like mentally a little bit stuck and you, you just need to beat kind of yourself, it takes hell, like, you know, a lot of effort and a lot of energy. Right. And that's when you start sweating big time. And I, I believe that if, if you are, like, very confident, you come there and you are prepared perfectly, you have a bunch of wins behind you, you don't think of those things at all, you know. You just see the line and you just play. And basically, you don't have to think of your feet. You don't have to think of your, of your uh, technique of the, of the stroke. You're just looking the place where you're going to hit the ball. So, so this is the advantage of guys who are like confident. Borna wasn't that confident at the very beginning, but later on he started playing better and better. Unfortunately, there he had again a little problem, a little issue that is that has been solved right now. Actually, it was kind of it was kind of uh, we could have we, we could use now the break to uh, to make him healthy completely. So now finally we will have a new page and where we can start to to work again. I want to come on to your approach to to coaching a little bit but just you you kind of touched on the targets for 2020 it was to you know to to get his body I guess in in a better place so that he can really build has that changed now have the goals for 2020 changed since all of this has happened or are they pretty much as they were it hasn't changed uh, it's just that uh, we're going to be missing matches probably but that's usually the last you know the last step on the pyramid you know First, you have to have the base. The body has to be completely ready. Then you have to build up. Then you have to work on court. Then, then you have to start to work on specific things, some, some, some technical things. And then you have to work on tactical things in the matches, you know. And, and okay, well, now let's see what's going to happen on the tour. Nobody knows. You know, there's so many things that can happen this year. Um, tennis can be without spectators. So there, can be, there can be no tournaments at all. There can be, I don't know, some um, exhibitions. There can be some tournaments, uh, more tournaments in one country, whatever. We don't know what's going to happen. So basically we have, that's the problem is that there's a big question mark. So we don't know to what should we, you know, prepare to what point. 
but at the same time you have to be kind of ready for anything that can start within let's say one month you know so um it's a little bit tricky i guess for everyone i don't know if everyone is opening their cards but uh, i guess yeah i mean the question was if something changed no nothing changed we're, we're still in that process uh, where i want him to be a beast in 2021 <laughs> I want to ask you, Martin, about you know how your journey as a player as well, because you were you were a player yourself. But before we do that, just in terms of your approach to coaching, because I know you've worked with other coaches like I don't know Jan de Witt in Halle, for example. Um, do you have a method? Is there a method that you've kind of you know practiced and and really decided on now, or does it change from player to player? So, for example, a, a super chilled out guy like Thomas Burdich to a Borna Chorich. Do, do, do you have to adapt or have you got a hard and fast method? I think you have to adapt. It's an individual sport. Uh, every single player is different. I think uh, you, you have to show a lot of empathy, you know, because uh, there can be there can be many, many coaches who will be maybe great for one two, three guys, unbelievable, but for the rest, it will be very tough because everybody is different. So method, method is, well, uh, I try to learn from every single big coach I've met in my life, uh, whether it was Bob Brett or Jan David, uh, both of them gave me a lot, you know. Uh, so also my father, that's, that's, that's the main thing, who was a, who was a tennis coach, now he's, he's uh, retired already. And so I'm, I'm trying kind of, uh, I'm trying kind of to, to pick the best for the player what he needs. Of course, look at him at, 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 at the, at the person, at the athlete, how, what he needs, what's his game like, you know, and so on. And you have to kind of adapt on the player. It's, it's at the same time you have to be strong in, in, in your, your ideas, your opinions, because sometimes they tend, you know, the players. Sometimes they're like kids. They, they try. Where's the boundaries, you know? And, and so you, you have to be, at a certain stage, you have to be strict. At the same time, you have to give the players also some freedom. Because now we're talking about talented players who are, who are at the top, you know? So, yeah, more or less, the method is, like, try to give the player the best, more or less. That, that's it, point. But what would the big differences be, say, between a Thomas Burdich and a Borna Chorich? It's the way how they hit the ball. It's the way how they move. It's the game plan. It's, it's, it's many things that, and, and you have to kind of find the best way to play the best game for them that would suit them, that they would like, they would feel good, you know, because for example, to Thomas, I couldn't tell him go surf and volley every single point, you know, so he likes to build up the rally from the baseline. And then many times he, he fell asleep behind the baseline and he didn't come up to the net, you know, so we were trying to find, to, to work on that, to be, Maybe a little bit more aggressive with, with the age as well. With Borna, it's, it's different. Uh, Borna can run on the court uh, from the morning till the evening now. So, and, 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 and he needs to really feel the base from the baseline and so on. At the same time, he likes to do some surprise surfing volleys and so on and so on. So those are things that are different between those guys. They're not that much different. Like if we would have Jill Miller, for example, and Rafael Nadal, of course. True. There, there, yeah, there, there are similarities. I was going to ask you about the similarities. I mean, it's one similarity, I guess, that they'd both been a lot higher in the rankings when you started working with them. Yeah, more or less, yes. Because first, when I worked with, uh, with um, uh, Ivan Dodik, we started like really somewhere in, on the bottom of the ranking and then uh, he went up and that's very different, you know, because it, it's kind of like 
it, it's more or less like like your kid, like your small kid who you're teaching, you know, and, and then he comes up. So, uh, and, and with those guys, it's, it's very different, of course. It's uh, basically, I, I started with Thomas uh, when he was, a, of course, top player, and that's a little bit different, and Borna, but I was at the end of his career, more or less, and everybody knew that the end is coming soon. With Borna, is different. He is a top player, but he's, he's much younger. At the same time, he was already very high, he was top 12 in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it, 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 it's a little bit similar, but everyone, of course, is different. One is older, one is younger now. So, again, it's, it's different. If you think that the goals that they're setting are unambitious, do you have to try and make them more realistic for the player? Or, and I'm just wondering how, that, how difficult that can sometimes be. If a player is telling you that he wants to be top three, for example, but you... You don't think realistically he can be or can be yet. How as a coach do you do you sort of work with him to say, listen, yeah, okay, we can get there, but first baby steps. Uh, yeah, I like I like to be I like to be realistic. So when when you have a guy who's he's not in a one hundred percent physical shape, uh, who's not basically ready physically for the whole year, and he will tell you at the beginning of the year, I want to be top ten. It's tricky and you have to explain him, look, I believe you can be top 10, but to be top 10, you need to do this, this, this and that. Sometimes the guys tend to, you know, to say out into the world, uh, like their big goals, they have it somewhere here inside, even though they, they still don't believe it because they know where they are. It's more or less like an alibi for them, like, yeah, I'm going to make it somehow to improve their confidence. But in, in this way, actually, they're putting much more pressure on themselves, you know, so... At the end, this is the worst thing you can do as a player who's not feeling great, uh, setting amazing t- top goals, you know. You have to say, okay, I'm going to go step by step and, and maybe keep, keep it for yourself a little bit sometimes. And once you feel really good, of course, when you feel good, when, you are, when, when nothing, is lim- nothing is limiting you, just say. Say whatever you think you, you can achieve. And it's great because if you have that belief strongly in you and you are prepared, I believe you can do it. By the same token, in terms of the actual training itself and, and practicing just hitting out on the court, if you, through your coaching, everything you've learned, say from a Jan de Witt or someone who I know is, you know, he's gone to other sports and all kinds of things, exploring new and different ways of coaching, hasn't he? Um, when, you, when you've got a, a creature of habit, say like Borna, who maybe, I, I don't know, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but if he does like to do things the same every, every session, does it sometimes, do you have to take him out of that comfort zone? And, and how difficult can that be? As a coach, if you see that this is taking him somewhere where, where, it's, where it's not good, you simply have to take him out of there somehow. Again, it can be a process. It can be um, telling him little advices, little hints, you know. And smart players, uh, they, they realize. If, if no, then you have to go and talk to him. Listen, I think this is not good because of this, this, this and that. And you have to really explain it, you know. So, yeah, th- this can happen. But at the same time, if it works, it works. But sometimes if you really see and if you are sure that this is wrong, you have to step in and you have to tell him. I mean, how... Uh, look, if at the end, you have to always look at the end what's going to happen at the real end. And it, I don't like those like dramatic, you know, uh, goodbyes and so on. 
So I think it's, it's good to be open with the player and, and the more true you tell him, at the end of, of everything, he will be very grateful that you were open with him and that, that you tried the best for him because still the guys, still at this age, they're still very young and many things they realize later on, much later on, let's say after 30s and so on. Martin, I wanted to ask about you know, you, you as well, because, you know, Martin Stepanek won't, won't necessarily be hugely known to lots of our listeners. Take us back. You were, I, I understand you were born in Cuba. Is that, is that where you first found tennis? How, how did you come to be born in Cuba? <laughs> That's where I first found how air smells like, because I was just born there. Because, yeah, you know, um, my father got a, from a friend, he, uh, he, he asked him if he doesn't want to be, because he was a tennis coach, if he doesn't want to coach the national team of Cuba at that time. And my father, is, uh, because my family was uh, like fighting badly against the communists, you know. So it's, he said, yes, I go. Oh, Caribbean, you know, Cuba. But he didn't realize, especially he came with my mom there. Uh, he didn't realize how did Cuba look at that time, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't great, to be honest, to, to, say, to say it like this. But yeah, but... At the end, they spent their two years. I was born there. My, my brother was born there. And after two years, we came back to Czechoslovakia at the time. And then uh, so I was at a very young age, you know, I was like half a year. And then I came back. So I don't remember anything from Cuba. But uh, later on, my father, again, had the chance to go um, to Mexico to coach in the, in the tennis club there. So, but he, he could have gone first just by himself. They were afraid that we we're going to escape as a family, you know, from the Czech Republic. I don't know what else. And so we went there after like uh, half a year to see him. And we spent there three years. So from my five till my eight years, I, I lived in Mexico. That's where I learned Spanish as well. It was like a language for free because uh, as, a, as a little kid, you learn very, very quick. And then, uh, and then after that, we came back to the Czech Republic where there was a revolution in, the, in 89. Communists fell finally, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we, we 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 could start to travel and so on. And and uh, well, I started I started playing tennis actually in Mexico when I was some six seven years on the court. I was there with my dad all all the day, you know. So and then we came back, and um, my father started coaching in some German uh, academies at that time. And so I I learned German as well a little bit because time to time I went there with him. And then I started playing tournaments and yeah, more or less, I, I, I made it to 240 in singles and 101, I think, in doubles. And then actually I had some, some uh, problems with my shoulder. So I had two surgeries of the shoulder. And after that, at the age of 24, I had to decide whether I want to continue or if, I, if, if I'm going to do something else. And, you know, my parents as teachers, plus my father, a tennis coach, it was quite obvious what am I going to do. <laughs> You weren't old at all. I was 25 at the age of 25. And I started with, uh, I, think I, I think I started well in a way, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to start straight with a great player. Look at, for example, Radek Stepanek, who was an amazing player. And I guess uh, it, it's really tough to start with top, top players to turn straight from a player into a coach. You know, you see the things from the other side and suddenly you realize many things. <laughs> Uh, what you haven't done well in, in your past and you see it much better. You see the complete picture. Plus, of course, uh, working with, with top, top players uh, when they're not at their best, it's really tough. So, so his, you know, so I, what I just wanted to say, I think 
it was good for me. I started with kids, with smaller kids, with older kids, then with juniors. Uh, after that, I worked with, with uh, Lucas Lohi for, for a while. And that's when Jan David asked me if I don't want to join the academy in Halle. And since my father was telling me always, if you have a chance to go out from the country, just anywhere, anywhere, it's a super experience. Just try it. So I tried it. And even though it, <laughs> the beginnings were not that easy. Why, why, why was it not that easy at the beginning? You, you laughed when you said that. Why was it not that easy? <laughs> I would have to tell you the whole process. The first two days, three days when I was there, uh, where nobody told me anything. And they just, they just told me, just do. And so I, <laughs> it was like, I didn't know where the balls are, which courts to take, who am I going to practice with, what they want to listen from me, you know? And after... After a few, uh, few weeks, I think it was after two weeks or three weeks, we sat and, and, and they just sat and had me like this in front of them. And so and <laughs> I didn't know what to say. So I started, well, what do you want me to tell you? Want me to tell you uh, how the players play or, or what's the plan or whatever? Or, or uh, how, what should they improve at and so on? So, but then we had a large and nice discussion and it, it was like, well, actually it was like throwing a, uh, <laughs> throwing a baby in the water you know <laughs> but it it was a great experience and as i said i'm very grateful to uh to young david who who gave me this opportunity first of all who taught me a lot of good things it's it, it, i think work with them was great and definitely at the same time i have to say that Jan is a very nice and honest guy he's sometimes he's very tough but he's he's a he's a clean mind. He's a he's a good guy. What about your goals? I know all your players will have, you know, goals. Do you, do you set yourself goals as a coach? To improve as much as I can myself and my player, of course. Because I think that uh, definitely I wouldn't say I'm a complete coach. I think a coach uh, learns with every next player. You know, so so this is something. Uh, where I, I I really like to listen to older coaches, to people who have much more experience, where you can learn a lot. Uh, so my goal, my goal is to be uh, like this. Let's say my goal is to to give my player the best. That's my goal. Our thanks to Martin Stepanek, coach of Borna Chorich. We wish them all the very best, and of course, thanks also to Yannick Zinner and Philip Kohlschreiber, who we've already heard from. Next week I'm joined by one of the game's great clay quarters, although he was pretty good on every surface. On what would have been the eve of Roland Garros, Juan Carlos Ferrero joins us for a jaunt down memory lane, including winning the big one on the dirt in Paris. He also tells us why the 17-year-old Spaniard he's now coaching, Carlos Alcaraz, is destined for great things. And there's also some fascinating insights along the way into the life and mind of perhaps the greatest Spaniard of them all, Rafael Nadal. I'm Seb Lozier. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review. You can also let us know who you'd like to hear from, and we'll do our very best to make it happen. Get in touch on Twitter, at ATP Tennis Radio, or you can do it the good old-fashioned way and email us. Yes, you can still do that. That's studio at atptennisradio.com. For now, though, stay safe. We'll catch you next time. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.